0: Let us pray. God, we thank you for this day and we thank you for your word uh, that was lifted up and spoken. May these words come alive to us this day. And may you convict us um, and change us so that we are more like you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Friends, this morning, we are kind of coming to the conclusion of the story of Ruth. For the past several weeks, we've been studying uh, the story of Ruth. And I hope that reading this story and meditating on this book uh, has given you an opportunity to see things in a new light. I hope and pray that the Spirit of God has convicted you. And something that you were able to see in a new light, that we would be a faithful disciples of Jesus Christ as we look at these stories, as we look and read from God's Holy Word. The book of Ruth is an amazing story. And here's a little quick recap of the story so far that we have encountered. The book of Ruth uh, in the Protestant canon, it's very important as to where it's placed. Uh, It's placed right after the book of Judges. Um, And if you read the book of Judges, there is a certain rhythm to the book of Judges uh, where uh, the rhythm goes something like this. The people of Israel slowly drift away from God's holy word. They drift away from following God's uh, laws and precepts. And that results in another local region coming over and taking over the land of Israel or a calamity strikes them. So we're in that similar rhythm as we start reading the story of Ruth. Um, there was a family, um, and I started calling this guy Eli because I didn't quite know how to pronounce. El- El- there you go. Well, yes, Eli. Um, so <laughs> uh, so I started calling him Eli uh, and his wife name was naomi and they had two sons uh, malon and Chilon, and they uh, encountered famine in the land of uh, judah in the city of bethlehem so they left jerusalem uh, judah they left bethlehem and they settled in the town in the country of moab and when they settled there they slowly started to call it their home uh, they started to live there. And then uh, the young men who traveled with Eli, those two young men, ended up marrying um, women from Moab. And their names were uh, Orpha and Ruth. Uh, a couple of years go by, and Eli dies. And then another 10 years go by, and both the sons die. And so Naomi is with her two daughter-in-laws and they are in a new land. There were three women completely destitute at that point. Naomi quickly realizes um, her future is not very safe in Moab because she is living as a foreigner in a different country and she does not have anyone care for her there are no men in our lives to provide for her to provide her with protection with food with shelter so she decides uh, to leave that land and come back uh, come back to Bethlehem And uh, both the daughter-in-laws want to join with her uh, and travel with her initially both of them say yes we will come with you to Bethlehem and we will live there and we will be part uh, of your life Um, but Naomi pleads with both of them not to do it. Uh, and or- Orpha uh, agrees to this. But Ruth, um, we learn the English translation that she was determined uh, to go with her. That is where it was there. No matter what Naomi said, Ruth was determined to go with her. And the Hebrew word here is determined, has like several different meanings to it. And the English uh, says that it is determined that she was saying, no matter what, I am not moving, I am coming with you, right? But when you look at the Hebrew, and I think the authors of the book of Ruth um, want us to to kind of wrestle with this term, the the Hebrew word there is called hest. and we've been playing with that word a lot. That means showing kindness, uh, showing loving kindness. Ruth was determined to show loving kindness, or Ruth was showing loving kindness, or Covenantal love um, is how that can, that word can be translated, and then in chapter two we start we start to see the story unfolding a little bit more, where Ruth begins to glean the field. Uh, she had no idea where she was gleaning, but Ruth just so happens to run into a field whose na- owner's name is called Boaz. In chapter two, we are rem- reminded over and over again of Ruth's identity, who Ruth was. They called Ruth a Moabite, a widow, a foreigner. So Ruth was identified as one who was living on the margins. That was a code word uh, that we kind of embraced at that point. We were told, as the narrator was telling in chapter 2 and calling and giving different titles to Ruth, we've been reminded over and over again that Ruth was the outsider. The Ruth did not belong in Bethlehem. And the people were generous to her and allowed her to glean on the edges of the field. Uh, and the reason they were allowed to do this is because of the law that was written in Leviticus 19, uh, 19 and Leviticus 23, 22. We read um, that you were supposed to allow foreigners and those who are poor to glean on the edges of the field so that they have something to eat but then the story changes a little bit. Ruth encounters Boaz, and the way Boaz speaks to her doesn't call her a widow, doesn't call her a Moabite, doesn't call her, you don't belong here, but rather he chooses a word of endearment to her. And Ruth uh, and Boaz, they begin to talk to each other, and Ruth, um, at that time, is given a promise of food and protection. She was given a promise that Boaz and his uh, uh, men would care for her all through the harvest season. See, what Boaz was doing here was, was showing Ruth what it means to be Hest. She Boaz was showing being hessed here. Uh, so we've been kind of playing with that term all through the weeks and last week, a uh, couple of weeks ago, we heard Pastor Joanne talk about what it means for showing kindness in the midst of challenges, showing kindness uh, for people that we don't even know. And we were told about the story as to how um, uh, a cab driver showed Pastor Joanne kindness uh, in the midst of her own anxiety. And now and when and we see how Boaz is wanting to care for Ruth. And so this brings us to chapter 4. And we don't know how much time has taken place between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Uh, when you read it, uh, some biblical scholars said um, that it was the next day, that Boaz and Ruth were in the field, and the next day, Boaz got up and went to the city gate. I'm not sure if, that, uh, if I agree with that um, illustration or if that, with that in- interpretation because Boaz Um, In verse 1, what he's doing is he's calling for a town council. He's calling for a meeting. He's organizing a meeting with all the elders who are there at the town uh, and the immediate redeemer uh, that is there. So this is what we read in verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said... Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said to them, Sit down here. So they sat down here. Here, Boaz is having a meeting with some of the key leaders of the town. In some ways, we can call them judges because they're about to decide on a judicial matter regarding Ruth and Naomi. And Boaz sat down at the gate. Hey, the the word gate uh, of the town, um, if you can show this slide, Matt, um, this is uh, what is at the entrance of the town. And if you see this archeological find, there's actually a place at the gate where people could sit. There was a little bench that was there and that's where all of them sat. I don't want us to think about the word that they went to the gate as a place of entrance or a place where the boundary of the city started. But rather, we need, when we read the word gate, uh, we need to kind of see that as a place um, where townspeople gather together to discuss the business at hand. It was more of a town hall uh, or a city hall uh, for us. So that's how we need to view the word gate. It's not necessarily the entrance, but it is where people would sit and discuss it was a place of prominence. It was a place. It was an important place. And actually if you remember some of the stories from the Old Testament. Especially when Abraham was sitting at the gate. The three angels come to him. And that's where he meets them. And he brings them home. And the three angels actually give a promise to Abraham. That he will, uh, he will have a son. So the gate is a place of importance. That's where all the big decisions of the town were made. It was the town center. And I'm sure when this is taking place, where Boaz is there and he calls the Redeemer and tells him to sit here, he tells the ten judges to sit on this side. And I'm sure that there were other people there because this was a big deal. This was a big distance. I'm sure the townspeople showed up and there's a big crowd that was sitting and watching what was taking place uh, for Ruth and Naomi. Remember, every time we read uh, a chapter in Ruth, uh, in chapter one and chapter two, townspeople were always in the background. They were always there, they were always present. So let's not look at this meeting as something that was happening in isolation, but rather everybody was there. To witness what was going to take place on this day. So this morning, friends, I want us to join um, the crowd that was there. I want us to join the crowd that was there. That Boaz and the ten elders and the Redeemer. That they're all there. And I want us to be the townspeople. Who are kind of overhearing this conversation. And here, uh, Boaz is trying to retell the story uh, of Ruth and Naomi. And the matter at hand that Boaz is discussing is a piece of property that is owned by Naomi. And what is going to happen to that piece of property? In the Old Testament, there were a few occasions where women were allowed to own land. And this is one of them. Naomi's husband owned this piece of land. And now uh, Naomi is the one who possesses this land. And they're trying to figure out what is going to happen to this piece of land and we don't there is no mention as to how big this property is um and how small it is or what it is worth um and remember when naomi and ruth came back from moab it was harvest season so i don't necessarily think this was a huge piece of land because if it was a huge piece of land they would be laying harvest right wouldn't you agree you all cannot. Yes, thank you. All right. So I think it was a small piece of property that was there. Uh, and again, if, they, if it was Naomi's land that was being harvested, why wouldn't Ruth go to her mother-in-law's land instead of going to Boaz's land? So anyway, in verse six, um, verses 3 to 6, we join Boaz, uh, who, can, who goes and retells the story of Ruth and Naomi and the Redeemer. He retells the story. What I've just done this morning, he retells the story of Ruth and Naomi. And and the role of the Redeemer. What the Redeemer is supposed to do at this point. See, the Redeemer at this point is a little paranoid about taking or buying that land that belongs to Naomi. Because if he did that, if he did buy that land, that would mean that... Not only is he going to own that piece of property, he's also going to own Ruth and Naomi as well. So that is where we are. So the Redeemer rejects it, right? And I'm sure somebody from the crowd might have yelled, yeah, good job, buddy. You did the right thing. You need to take care of your own kind and your own people. Don't worry about Ruth and Naomi, right? Like somebody might have said that. We don't know. But anyway, all kidding aside, you know, the Redeemer is rejecting. Think about this as to who the Redeemer is saying no to. Right? The Redeemer is afraid of Ruth. That's what it is. The Redeemer is afraid of Ruth. So it was well known in that community who Ruth was. Right? It was well known in that community that Ruth was a young widow who left everything to care for her mother-in-law was a widow and in uh, chapter 2 we talked about Ruth's work ethic right like we saw like the workers were saying how hard Ruth had worked that she barely took a break that she gleaned all day the little that she had that she did not take a break and not only did she glean all day she actually took the grain and actually went back to care For her mother-in-law. The redeemer is rejecting this woman. For he is worried. This is what he's worried about in verse 6. Then the redeemer said. I cannot redeem it for myself. Lest I impair my own inheritance. See he's worried what's going to happen to him. And his kids. If Ruth were part of his family. He's worried how this helpless foreign widow. Would take away. All that he owns at times I feel like we don't extend grace to those around us because we're kind of worried about our own self-preservation sometimes we're not generous because we are worried as to how thin things would impact our own lives but repeatedly in the book of Ruth we've seen the word hast that when you show loving-kindness When you show that unconditional love, good things happen to you. That they are never gone unseen, right? Like we've seen that over and over again. But the Redeemer, the one person who's closest to Ruth and Naomi, does not see it. And does not show hest. He does not show loving kindness. Friends, may we not act on our own inclinations towards self-preservation But let us be generous towards those um, who are widows and who are on the margins in our own community. I promise you, when you give generously and you care um, for others, you and your family will be cared for. That is the promise that is there over and over again in the Holy Scriptures. And this will be true in our lives as well. Boaz, on the other hand, is willing to care for Ruth and Naomi. And I'm sure the crowd at this point has been rejoicing with Boaz. Some might be yelling, All right, Boaz, you're a good man. You're doing the right thing, taking care of this lady. Verse 7, we read uh, something unusual taking place. Uh, The narrator here in the story, as the crowd is watching, is telling what is taking place. And the person who did not want to redeem is given a shoe by the person who's going to redeem. So Naomi and Ruth and the Redeemer right? The Redeemer didn't want to do it, so Boaz takes off his shoe and gives it to this guy, saying, and that was a legal contract back in the day. You know, instead of shaking a hand and saying, all right, this is good, they took out shoes uh, and gave shoes to one another. Don't ask me why. The only reference I could find for this, isn't this strange? To give your shoe to somebody, right? Like the only, the only reference I found as to, I was like, okay, why are they doing this? Like why are they giving each other shoes? And if you think about how smell, anyway, let's not go there. Anyway, this is what I found, right? This is what I found. Deuteronomy you run 25? Um, verse 7. Uh, and if a man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate. We talked about the gate. To the elders and say my husband brothers refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him If he persists saying I do not wish to take care uh, Wish to take care of her Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders Pull off his sandal Off his foot and spit in his face. All right. That's what I found. So I guess this is some crazy tradition or something was happening here. But anyway, in the book of Ruth, thankfully, this is not really that extreme. Nobody is spitting in anybody's face. Just a shoe is given and the whole crowd, you know, rejoices that this deal is done and everybody is happy and they all go either to their respective homes or some might have gone to Target to buy stuff for the rest of the day. I don't know what they did, right? Then in verse 13, we go into this. Uh, Verse 13, um, Boaz uh, kinda expresses his intent as to how and what he wants to do with Ruth, that he wants to marry her. And in verse uh, 18, we are told this. Read these verses in verse 18, right? He gets married to Ruth and here are the generations uh, that are there. Now, these are the generations of Paris, father of Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadah. Abinadah fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Samon, Samon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. When you have time today, I want you to do something. I want you to go and reread chapter 4 of Ruth. And I want you to highlight, as you read the story, I want you to highlight everybody's name that is listed in this chapter. Right now, in verse 18, I just reread to you the lineage of Boaz, as to who Boaz's grandparents were and parents were, and who he gave birth to, um, and then moving on. In the book, we've kind of talked about Elimelech, or Eli, his sons, Malon and Chilon, ruth naomi boaz just think about whose name is missing in this list who is not named in this story by the narrator the person's name who's missing who's not named in the story but the narrator does not think he's worthy to be named is a redeemer we don't have his name we have no idea who he is we have no idea who he is. And he's not named because he's not generous. One of the greatest kings of all Israel is King David. And we cannot retell our own story of salvation and what it means for us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ without talking about King David and his lineage. In King David's lineage today, we learn that his great grandfather is Boaz and his great grandmother was Ruth. The reason we know that Boaz's name is there is because he was willing to show Hest to a foreign widow who was living on the margins of society and that she could not provide food for her widowed mother-in-law. And Boaz showed Hest to this lady. The challenge that we get from reading the book uh, of Ruth is each one of us has an opportunity to create a legacy. Each one of us has an opportunity to impact the lives of those who are around us and the future generations. Ruth and Orpha, two daughter-in-laws, both had an opportunity to care for the widow. And one showed Hest, loving kindness, covenantal love, meaning that, they, that she was willing to show unconditional love. The Redeemer and Boaz both had an opportunity to care for a young widow and an older widow. But only Boaz had the courage to be generous, to show that word again, Hest, that loving kindness, the covenantal love, because of what Ruth and Boaz did In 2022, we're still talking about them. That is their legacy. This morning, morning I want to ask you this question. What is going to be our legacy? What is going to be your legacy? How are people going to remember you? Are you going to be remembered for showing Hest in your community? Or is our legacy going to be forgotten because we were not willing to be generous. Guess we have a choice to make today. And this morning, I want to end with this story about legacy. When I think about legacy and Mount Hope Church, I want to tell you the story of Ray Taylor. Ray Taylor, some of you know, and I can see the smiles on your face. Um, he was someone who loved this church. Ray worked for Boeing and his wife ran the kitchen and they and as two kids did everything, their whole life revolved around um, the church. Recently I was talking to our, we have a church plumber, believe it or not. Um, his name is Bob Duck. And I just was having a conversation about, you know, Bob growing up in the church and things like that. And, um, and Bob saying, the only reason I'm in this business is because of Ray. You know, Ray took me aside and told me the, taught me the importance of working with my hands. And Ray was a trustee at our church, and he fixed numerous things. And Ray was not a man of much means. He was generous with the little that he had. And a few years ago, I had the privilege of doing his funeral. And it was wonderful to see his family. It was wonderful to meet his best friend, his brother, who cared for him. And spending some time with his daughter, Then a few days went by, a couple of months went by, and we got a letter from the attorney. And Ray left a legacy, a gift for the church, so that we can continue to do the work of preaching the gospel today. I think Ray will be remembered for showing Hest to those around him, to the young people that he encountered. Ray is remembered this day as showing Hest and caring for the church. Friends, may we leave a legacy behind and do what matters. Let us show HEST in all that we do. Let us pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, for the lives of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. God, may we have the strength and the courage to show HEST to those who are on the margins. May we influence them and care for them. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.